Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. For another very busy day with fast-moving headlines on banks, clearly. From Wall Street to Washington, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testifying before a Senate committee today. Regulators trying to orchestrate this rescue of First Republic Bank. And that is where we begin with our top guest, Republican Senator Rick Scott of Florida, joins us. And Senator, it's great to see you. I welcome you back to Bloomberg. Are you worried about contagion at this point or have the failures in the banking system from your view been contained? Well, I think we all all have to understand that we've got some risk here. Now, the risk starts with the Federal Reserve not doing their job. Uh, I need to hear from Jay Powell, who's going to be held accountable uh, for reviewing these problems. I mean, the, the leadership of these banks did the wrong thing, but the Federal Reserve is supposed to make sure that it doesn't continue and these depositors don't have any money at risk. So I want to hear who's going to get held accountable. That's number one. Number two, we have the problems we have because the Biden administration, Democrats up here, and actually even some Republicans, don't understand that you, you this excess spending, this ridiculous spending that we have up here is causing inflation and inflation is causing interest rates to go up. Now, the Federal Reserve has done the wrong thing. Uh, they've mm-hmm. built a balance sheet that doesn't make any sense and caused mis- misallocation of capital. But all these go back to the Democrats and the Biden administration not understanding we have to live within our means. And again, this happened with Republicans, too. We've got to stop this. We've got to live within our means or we're going to continue to have problems like this. To that end, Senator, if the Fed had started earlier, if we hadn't done the transitory dance and these rate hikes were spread out, would this still have happened? Well, I think here's what you do know, is that if they hadn't built this balance sheet, think about it, the Federal Reserve has taken their balance sheet from $800 billion when Barack Obama got elected to as high as $9 trillion, I think it's less than $8.5 trillion now. That caused a significant misallocation of capital. But on top of that, for decades, Congress and the presidents not being able to live within their means has caused ultimately where we are now, where we have 40-year high inflation, We've got higher interest rates. We've got, a, we've got banks that are struggling because interest rates have gone up so much. We have a federal government that won't do their job and hold banks accountable uh, that don't do their job. Which, would, if, if the Federal Reserve, even with all the other bad stuff, if the Federal Reserve had just done the reviews they should be doing, that they're paid to do, this wouldn't have happened. Some have suggested that if the changes to Dodd-Frank in 2018 had not happened, Senator, that this bank would have endured a stress test that may have, in fact, found the problems in the balance sheet. Do you agree? Well, I think the first thing we have to say is, if whether the, that law had changed or not, I wasn't up here at that time, but whether the law had changed or not, mm-hmm. the management of the bank did the wrong thing, step one. Step two, the Federal Reserve had the right and the obligation to review the finances of this bank. They made a decision to do a poor job. So we ha- I think it's important that we actually do go back and look at all the laws and see 
what do we have to fix? The first thing we have to say is, okay, what happened here? Who fell, you know, who, who didn't do their, their job? How do we change that? Because guess what? It's not the only bank in the country. We got to make sure we're reviewing all of our banks. We got to make sure we look at how they're allocating their assets, you know, the duration of their assets versus, you know, their, their obligations. And so I think, I think this is an unbelievable failure by the leadership team at SVC and mm -hmm. Signature, but also by the Federal Reserve. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is telling the Finance Committee today, Senator, that Americans can have confidence in their banking system. Would you echo that remark to our listeners and viewers or to your constituents? Can you tell them the same thing? I'm hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful, but I haven't heard from the Federal Reserve. Uh, look, they should, they should clearly tell us. Here's what would make me feel more comfortable. If, if the Treasury, if the Federal Reserve came out and said, look, here was the problem, right? Here's what we did wrong. Here's what we learned. We've checked all the other banks in the country and we don't have that problem. They didn't say that. They just say the nice words that we don't have a problem. So what I want is information. As a depositor in a bank, I like to know, have you reviewed my bank? How often do you review, review my bank? What are the standards you're gonna live by to review my bank? I haven't heard yeah. any of that. And then on top of that, we, you know, the taxpayers in the country shouldn't be on the hook here. I mean, people that took bonuses that they shouldn't have taken, people that sold stock they shouldn't be able to sell. I mean, we, and, and the other thing that, that, that the Federal Reserve and Janet Yellen need to tell us is how they say taxpayers are not going to be on the hook. How are they not going to be on the hook? What are they, how, how are they going to pay for this? Because what we do know is that Federal Reserve is, re, is lending against assets or Treasury is lending against assets that have a value today at less, okay? then mm -hmm. they could sell them all in the open market. Well, that doesn't seem to make much sense. Somebody's taking some risk here. Uh, there's been a good deal of risk, it seems like, all the way around, but based on, on what you just said, should the Federal Reserve be taken out of this? There's, there's been a call to recuse uh, Jay Powell, for instance, from, from this review, the Fed investigating the Fed, uh, even from Elizabeth Warren. I guess that shouldn't be a big shock. I know that you don't agree on a lot of things, but is she right in this case? Should there be an outside review? Well, I think, I think, look, I think outside reviews are, you, you often get a, be, a better answer. You, you get a more open answer uh, because I'm sure, you know, it's human nature that people want to say, well, they didn't do anything wrong. So I think, I yeah. think outside reviews are actually very helpful. So um, I didn't see exactly what Senator Warren has said, but I think out, outside reviews, that's why we have auditors in companies. Um, that's how, in theory, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be doing this to the banks uh, around the country. So. Uh, FDIC is supposed to be doing this. State regulars are supposed to be doing this. So there's, a, so I want to understand why it failed, who's going to be held accountable, and what mm -hmm. law do we need to change, if any, or regulation that would make sure this doesn't happen again. But in the meantime, Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen should say, this is if this is just a one-off, explain how it's a one-off. I mean, I want to make sure that, that the depositors, the people in my state that have, have deposits in this bank are, are comfortable, but that's not what they've said so far. They've just said, they said the nice things without any information to back it yeah. up. Should the FDIC increase the threshold, uh, maybe erase the threshold? Should all deposits be insured, Senator, so you could tell voters in your state they don't have to worry about what they have in the bank? I think it's something we have to look at. Uh, we have to look at, look at, you know, the impact of that. Uh, also, the cost of that. Who's going to bear that cost? Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't think the taxpayers ought to be bearing that cost. So, I'm open to having all these reviews. But the steps I would go through is step one: what went wrong? Why did it go wrong? 
who has been held accountable, what do we have, what did we learn, what should we change? I appreciate your candor here, Senator, because I've been talking to lawmakers all week, and there have been a lot of very definitive answers, yet no consensus on anything. Clearly, there needs to be an autopsy. I keep hearing about woke banking, and I'm, I'm a little bit confused on this talking point. I wonder if you are, because SVB apparently did not seem to be doing anything that the 30 biggest banks were doing based on a fact-checked by the New York Times, yet they failed. Uh, what is your take on that idea? Was ESG to blame or not? Well, we don't know enough yet. I mean, look, this, if you look at their website, sure appeared this, is a, this was a, very, a company very focused on woke things. And, but look, the bottom line is the Federal Reserve, you know, the management team failed, the Federal Reserve failed in doing their job. And so, and whether it's, you know, who knows? If it's woke policies, you know, then we ought to be looking at that. But yeah. here's what we know. There's been a big failure here. We can't afford to have this happen around the country. I don't want it to happen to anybody in my state. Um, I don't want a contagion. So the, here's what I, I expect this out of government. I tell on almost every federal agency I can say the same thing about. Why are you a black hole of information? Here's a problem. Give us the facts. If you made a mistake, guess what? You're human beings. Tell us where you, how you made the mistake <laughs> and how you're going to fix it. Uh, I wish you were you were one of my teachers uh, back in high school with that approach, Senator. I'd like to ask you about something maybe a little closer to your heart. We have to talk about the banking crisis. It's happening before our eyes, but so is the budget process. And Senator, your name keeps coming up. President Biden likes to hold up a pamphlet of the Rescue America proposal and says you want to sunset Social Security and Medicare. Tell us where he's wrong. So first off, I hope he, you know, he tells everybody to read my plan. And, he, and you ought to read my plan. I hope everybody does. It says that the Congress ought to tell the American public how they're going to protect the benefits of Social Security and Medicare, and we should review the th our expenditures up here so we, so we can decide if we want to continue them or not. Now, because some people are lying about what my intent was, so I updated and says, well, clearly I was never talking about Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid, things like that, or the U.S. Navy, which I'm a Navy veteran. So, but here's, here's think about this for a second. Since 2019, pre-COVID, we've had about 6 million new Americans, net new Americans. That's about 1.8% increase in our population. The Biden budget has the federal budget going up 55%. Does that make sense to you? If your income doesn't go up, do you have a 55% increase in your expenditures? That doesn't make sense. When I was governor of Florida, what, we needed, what I wanted to do is preserve the safety net programs we had, but don't grow government just because you want to grow government. We grew government slower than our population growth every year for eight years. And I was able to preserve the safety nets. I want to preserve Medicare and Social Security. The way to do that is balance the budget. So you can't do what's been happening of just spending money like it's going out of style. And by the way, yeah. the Democrats all voted to cut Medicare last September in the past. And Joe Biden signed a bill to cut $280 billion out of Medicare. Sure. Doesn't just to be sense. clear, though, you did change the language. Like, originally, you were looking at Social Security and Medicare, correct? I know that the leadership no. has decided no, to never take was. that off what the I, table. But wasn't no, that something no, that, that you wanted to take another look at? No. What I, what I said, but think, I was very clear. If you look at the language, the only language in there I said Social Security and Medicare was that we need to tell the public how we're going to preserve them. But my point was when I said let's review uh, and, and all of our programs is, is the, all the crazy stuff out there. So, by yeah. the way, Joe Biden, said, Joe Biden said he wanted to cut even Medicare, Social Security, and veterans benefits when he was in the Senate. 
I don't believe in that. I believe let's preserve these programs. You do it through fiscal responsibility. We can balance okay. our budget. You do it, so we all can do it. Take the entitlements off the table. And I know defense spending, that's that's another difficult one. That might also be off the table, Senator. Where do you cut? Because to balance the budget, they would have to be significant. What are we putting on the table here today? So the way I would do it is the way I did it as governor of Florida. I walked in, I knew nothing about the Florida budget. We started going line by line. There's 4,000 yeah. lines of the budget. And we said, well, this was a nice to have, but actually it didn't work or we can't afford it this year. So I think we have to look at every bit of the budget, every, every line of the budget. We, you know how hard it is to get a budget, to get, just get a copy of the budget up here? I'm on the budget committee. You know, we don't even have budget meetings hardly. So I've never seen, seen a budget that we've passed. I've been up here four years. I've never been able to get a hard copy of the budget with every line in four yeah. years. They'll give it to you in pieces here, pieces there. So we've got to do what you do. You look at your, you, you know what you get in income, and you say to yourself, well, that new car would be nice, but I'm not going to do it because sure. I don't make enough money. Well, we can we name names, though? Is there one program that you'd cut today? Well, there's 77,000 uh, federal office buildings that are empty that we probably ought to get rid of. Why are we paying for okay. those? There's real about, estate. You know, yeah, I mean, first off, that's one thing I did as governor. I went through all of our real estate, and we were able to save millions and millions and millions of dollars. I think just those 77,000 buildings is $1.7 billion a year. And so, I mean, you just, you just, you chip away at it, but we're not even chipping away up here. We don't even review it. We just say, well, if you do, if you want to balance a budget, then there's something bad's going to happen. No, it doesn't. It doesn't happen to you. It doesn't happen to companies. It didn't happen to Florida. When I did that, my economy grew like wildfire in Florida. We added 1.7 million jobs in eight years. So balance your budget, watch your money. I mean, think about this, Joe. 1.8% increase in population since 2019 and a 50, 55% increase in the budget. That makes no sense. Last one for you, Senator. You've been very generous with your time. In, in lieu of a budget deal, would you vote to raise the debt ceiling or do they have to come together? Well, uh, you know, I've been working with a lot of uh, my friends in the House. There is a way to, we should use the debt ceiling as a way to get some structural change, to start think, but start start down the path that we we get a balanced budget here. Uh, I've never had, I've never voted for a debt ceiling increase since I've been up here because it's never there's never been any structural changes, and so I want to vote for one if if there's real change that's going to get us to a balanced budget. And so the Freedom Caucus in the House put out some ideas. I think we have, let's look at those ideas and other ideas to structurally fix our budget, and we can, and we have to. Senator Rick Scott, Republican from Florida, joining us from Capitol Hill. We thank you, sir, for the time and appreciate your being back with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where we're just getting started. Senator Rick Scott tips us off here. We're going to assemble our panel coming up. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. And we're going to tackle this TikTok issue as well. We have a couple of stories to deal with today. It's not only the banking crisis, and we will give that its due, the number one story today. But we have, obviously, testimony from Janet Yellen happening. We're going to walk through that as well with our panel. And then what in the world happened over the Black Sea earlier this week? Have you seen the Pentagon released video of this Russian hazing of a U.S. drone that ended up going into the drink? We'll get to that as well. A lot ahead here on the fastest show in politics. You picked the right place. Sound on. We'll assemble the panel next and a lot more to talk about, so stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Creating, if we don't already have some confidence in the banking system. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. Although after what we just heard from Senator Rick Scott, maybe not so fast, he made clear that he needs to learn a lot more and hear a lot more from the Fed before he declares 
any confidence in the banking system. And of course, that's not making anybody feel terribly comfortable either. Let's assemble our panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Rick, what's your take on the gentleman from Florida's view here? Uh, Because we've heard from a lot of lawmakers this week. You've been involved in some of these uh, conversations with definitive answers, pointing fingers, laying blame. The senator seems to actually want to learn a little more. Yeah, his uh, point of view was very open. I was I was really surprised to hear that he didn't sort of have a uh, a specific uh, attack dog. Uh, he yeah. didn't really take the bait when you asked him about whether or not you thought this was, you know, as a result of wokeism uh, at the bank and said, well, I don't know much about that, but let's see what the Fed comes up with. And 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 and, and wasn't even willing to uh, sort of lay blame at the feet of uh, the bank. He, he, made a good point that the bank probably made mistakes when it was managing its balance sheet, but then immediately said, we need a full uh, rundown as to what's happened here to really understand, you know, what went wrong. Yeah. I just wonder, Jeannie, if lawmakers are starting to hear more that's causing them to back off a little bit. We spoke earlier with Patrick McHenry, uh, of course, who chairs the finance committee to back off a little bit on the blame game, because this is still unfolding in real time. It is. And I think they're smart to back off. And I think Senator Scott is wise to say, in your words, we need to have an autopsy. What went wrong? Why? Who's accountable? And then talk talk about blame and changes. Because, of course, they don't want to get caught politically blaming X person. Come to find out information unfolds in the next 24, 48 hours because things have been moving so quickly and they are caught flat footed. So they are smart to do that. I have to say, I did get some sense that he does agree with Elizabeth Warren on some things. Like what? You know, well, he talked about blaming the Fed. He talked about being open to J- Jay Powell recusing himself. Mm-hmm. He talked about regulatory failures um, and that he obviously wants to learn more about. But there was a sense, I-, I thought, that he did sound a little bit more like Elizabeth Warren than I thought. And I agree with Rick. I thought maybe we'd hear some more about the wokeism. Didn't hear about that, but did get this sort of populist, weird did the regulators go wrong? Certainly this was mismanagement. And maybe Powell needs to step aside, maybe for a review. Of course, Elizabeth Warren uh, taking part in this hearing today uh, with Janet Yellen. And they got to the matter of regulations. This is where I suspect, although who knows, because he wasn't specific about this. uh, But I I suspect this is where Rick Scott and Elizabeth Warren uh, will part ways on the idea uh, of this 2018 law that was changed, that changed portions of Dodd-Frank potentially leading to this. Warren talked about it uh, with the Treasury Secretary. Secretary Yellen, can regular, rigorous, well-designed stress tests help (coughs) bank regulators spot problems lurking in banks' balance sheets and business models? Yes. And the idea was that this bank may not have endured the same stress test that it would have under the original Dodd-Frank, Rick. Are we going to find more if we continue down this path? You know, you might. I mean, uh, there's a lot of questions as to whether the original bill, you know, the the modification of Dodd-Frank 2155 had Mm -hmm. any real impact in what we're seeing today. There are. Uh, And and, and I would say there are a lot of Democrats like, you know, Senator Tester and Warner and Kane who actually disagree with where uh, Senator uh, uh, is coming from and, and has come out very uh, strongly this week and said, this has nothing to do with those reforms. Those reforms allowed community banking That's to right. flourish in our state. Barney Frank and that said was the important. Same thing. 
And well, Barney Frank was also on the board of one of the banks that got <laughs> taken right. down. So <laughs> he, he's not exactly the guy I'd turn to today for that that response. But fair enough. But at the end of the day, I, I, I do think there's a cloud over all of this. I, I think there will be a lot of, uh, as you and Jeannie have said, autopsies. Uh, I think there'll be a lot more hearings. Uh, so we'll we'll see where everybody is sort of staked out on this. But I think there's plenty of blame to go all around, right? There probably is, you know, issues with the Fed and the way they've, you know, handled the the interest rate uh, management. I think there's probably issues with Treasury on oversight and whether or not these were stress tests. I think there are probably issues with the bank on whether or not they manage their balance sheet. I mean, like, there's going to be a lot of things that all added up to the crisis we're in today. Yeah, talking about the budget as well. With Senator Rick Scott, I, I suspect this will inform some opinions when it comes to that debate here, Jeannie, and I'm not even sure exactly how. But if it moves the X date up on the debt ceiling, it does create an, an additional urgency to figure this out. And he's not prepared to raise the debt ceiling, though I suppose that would be nothing new uh, for Rick Scott here. But how will the budget debate be informed by the banking crisis? Well, you know, I think it puts a lot more pressure on members of Congress to come together to ensure the stability of our financial market. Certainly, if they allow the, uh, they don't raise the debt ceiling, rather, that would be, uh, you know, the height of a catastrophe and crisis in this country financially. So this, I think, puts more pressure under them. I think it was very interesting to hear your discussion with Rick Scott. He didn't seem to want to acknowledge that he, in fact, did change and amend his six-point plan, point six, rather, of his plan to sunset when he talked about, you know, first, he wasn't going to accept Social Security, Medicare, and national security. He didn't want to seem to address that. And I think it was really, really telling to have him say when you pushed him and said, well, what would you cut? He's talking about real estate, 77,000 office buildings. That's interesting, but it doesn't get you near being able to balance the the budget. That's right. (laughs) And I'm not an economist, and I know that. (laughs) You've been through this drill enough times, uh, Rick. Getting a lawmaker to actually name a program that's not called you know pbs or big bird or something is pretty difficult to do isn't it uh yes and no i mean uh, when john mccain was still around he issued a pork book every year uh, well that's you know, yeah, that's right funny little pig pushing a wheelbarrow we, we and, might, yeah we could use him once again <laughs> and, and there were there were hundreds of billions of dollars worth of programs that he identified uh not everybody has that level of bravery <laughs> in the that's budgeting process and uh, and and I I think ultimately that's part of what's going to play out here, right? And uh, the Democrats are in a position; they put their budget out. They're waiting for yeah. House Republicans to do the same, and 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 to give them uh, the president a a pathway to getting this uh, debt ceiling raised through budget cuts. And and nobody can come up with what those budget cuts are going to be. So be careful what you ask for. It always sounds like a good it's political attack message until you actually have to make good on it. And Every one of those budget cuts have constituencies. Every one of those constituencies are in various members' districts, and that's when you really get the fun part. When Republicans finally do emerge with a plan here, Jeannie, you wonder what it is that triggers an actual debate. Do they need to pass a budget before the White House says, all right, let's engage? You know, I hope that they are engaging right now and we just don't know about it, although I suspect that they are not because, you know, time is closing in on them. Um, and the real challenge is going to be for Kevin McCarthy to try to get to 218. And again, if they've taken defense, Social Security, Medicare, veterans benefits, other essential services off the table, as yeah. they have publicly said they have done, how do they address the concerns of the more conservatives and Freedom Caucus members in tying a debt ceiling? 
to balancing the budget. It's very hard to wrap your head around how they get there. So maybe Kevin McCarthy had some magic, you know, rabbit to pull out of his hat or wherever you pull those out of. But <laughs> it's hard to imagine they get there at this point. And that is a very, very troubling reality. Maybe this crisis has a silver lining and that it pushes members of Congress to come together and do the right thing on this. You know what you can't regulate? At least I, I, I can't imagine how, Rick, is social media. And if Patrick McHenry is correct, and this was the first Twitter run on a bank, you think about the way they moved meme stocks like GameStop a couple of years ago. Is this not part of the problem? Oh, yeah. I mean, this this trend, this this happened so quickly, literally over a 24 hour period. And and, and when we were seeing this unfold in the 2008, uh, uh, you, you did it over months, not mm-hmm. Not ours. And so absolutely the, the, the social media and the Internet have a, a lot to bring to the table here, not just, though, on uh, creating the crisis. But uh, I think the administration actually did a pretty good job of jumping into that cycle, moving a lot of information out on social media around the weekend so that yeah. the, so that people knew they had. And they didn't have the luxury to actually wait till Monday when markets open to actually make a statement. They had to make sure people knew That's what right. was happening before the weekend was over. So there's, I think it works both ways. There's a reason why he was out there at 9 a.m. and not 10 a.m. on Monday. And it's a great point that you make. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound Off. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. On podcast, catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. The TuneIn app. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
Com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. At Bloomberg.com and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Trying to figure out what's happening in real time here. Forget another day. Welcome to Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined by... Kaylee Lines, who's been at this uh, since very early this morning. Uh, Kaylee, the the big development here, I guess Credit Suisse is off the front burner. That's where we were this time yesterday as the Swiss come in at least to to, to make an attempt to save the bank. You can tell me if that's real. And First Republic now, on our side of the ocean, uh, is in the the crosshairs as the U.S. tries to orchestrate a rescue involving some of the big money centers, right? J.P. City and so on. Do they want any part of this? Those two big to fail banks are the ones that are coming in to help potentially another smaller bank not fail. From our understanding here at Bloomberg, it's the likes of J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, City, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, some of the smaller ones as well, like uh, U.S. Bank Corp and Truist and PNC, basically giving some of their deposits to First Republic. We understand for those big guys, it could be to the tune of $5 billion each. Ultimately, $30 billion uh, $30 billion of deposits could go to this bank, which has been struggling for about a week now since we saw uh, the initial bank failures of last week. Remember, we got the news here at Bloomberg yesterday that they were considering maybe having to sell themselves yes. uh, in order to get out of the situation they're in. Now big mm-hmm. banks are coming in, orchestrated by the U.S. government, mind right. you, possibly to save the Who's day. pulling those strings? Is it the Fed, the FDIC, everybody? I mean, how we the, when you say the government, that could be a lot of entities, right? This is, yeah. this is a whole of government, a whole of administration, maybe we should say approach? Yeah, well, like we saw with the actions from last weekend as well, right? It was the the Treasury in conjunction with the FDIC, in conjunction with the Federal Reserve. There are a lot of different uh, supervisors and regulatory authorities that have to sign off on these things. Ultimately, it's quite a process. And of course, we heard... Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's shining some light on that uh, in her testimony in the Senate today. But there are a lot of different banks and a lot of different government agencies and regulators that have to be involved in this because this involves potentially ripple effects across the entire financial system. So they're taking it very seriously. We spoke earlier with Congressman Patrick McHenry, the Republican from North Carolina, is chair of the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, My colleague and co-anchor on Balance of Power, Anne-Marie Hordern, uh, joined me for a little back and forth here with this is one of the real players tasked with figuring this out and figuring out the budget uh, based on his position here on House Financial Services and started by asking him about the failure of SVB and what the actual cause was. Interesting, since we don't really know. He reflects that. Listen. Everybody's preaching their book. Um, And so, uh, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to get to the bottom of what happened um, and why. Uh, and that's my obligation as a committee chair and to look into this matter mm-hmm. um, and understand. Um, what we know at this point is you have a couple of theories of the case. One, mismanagement. Obviously, the firm failed. Uh, two, uh, supervision, right? Whether or not those that were tasked with overseeing the bank in the regulatory sphere did the right thing. Third, regulation. Fourth, 
law. And then fifth is this macro question about the economy, the fiscal house that in, inflamed inflation, mm -hmm. and then the Fed response to it and the rapid rising rates. So you have five buckets of theories at this point, mm -hmm. and everyone has jumped to their natural conclusion to give the answer here. We have to first figure out why this happened and determine uh, in, a, in a, a really quantitative and qualitative way what happened. So you can't tell us now if the bill passed in 2018, in fact, was partly to blame, or maybe a better way to say is the original Dodd-Frank would not have prevented this from happening. Well, the original Dodd-Frank and then the update in S-2155, the bipartisan yes. bill that, that passed in 2018. Um, the, the theory is, uh, among some, uh, is that that changed in such a substantial way, Dodd-Frank, that they could have seen it under the original law, but didn't see it because of the regulatory change. Mm -hmm. uh, the first studies of this and the indication from bank analysts is that that's not the case. The liquidity cover ratio, uh, this bank would have passed um, if it had been applied to them. Um, and, uh, and so the key provisions that changed would not have affected uh, the supervision mm -hmm. of this bank, um, nor their performance in this moment of stress in this bank run. So, but that's the initial review of it. We want to understand that that's in, in fact true in the case. When you look at the supervision, does this fall into the purview of the Fed in Washington, or is this the supervisors in San Francisco? Who was potentially asleep at the wheel? We have to get to the bottom of that as well. Um, the way the Fed is organized, though, is through regional banks, and the regional banks have their regional bank uh, supervision and examination process. Uh, we want to understand what happened in the San Francisco field office and those that were in the bank. So we have to get to the bottom of that as well. Is this a Washington Fed problem? Is it San Francisco Fed problem? Is it a failure of uh, a regulator or not? And at this stage of the game, when you want to cast blame, it is natural. The first order of business in any business failure is to blame the management because obviously the business failed. The second is those that oversee the bank. Um, but when people jump to these conclusions at this stage of the game, a week in on, on uh, this uh, really stressed moment uh, for, for our banking system, I think it's, it's unhelpful and quite politically hackish <laughs> Uh, to jump to this political conclusion when we don't actually have the full set of facts yet. But should the Fed be investigating themselves? This is almost the third scandal under the Fed. There's the trading, there's the Kansas City, the Rare Masters account for the tech, fintech firm, and now there's this. And the vice chair of supervision, Michael Barr, will be investigating his own Fed. Why not have an outside probe? Well, uh, Congress will look into this, as we should. Uh, we created the Federal Reserve. We created. Would you be in favor of that? Like what Elizabeth Warren says, like an outside investigator? Um, everyone in Washington wants to look around for an unbiased source of information, right? Good luck. Everybody has a perspective. Uh, we will certainly investigate this on Capitol Hill, and my committee will look into this. We have regional, uh, we have regional Fed challenges that we've seen. And you've marked three, three, this is the third example of it. We need to get to the bottom of how regional fed, uh, feds are operating and uh, whether or not we have to update the laws and constraints around the, the, those regional uh, uh, Federal Reserve uh, uh, boards and, um, and their leadership. Mr. Chairman, should Congress pass a law that guarantees, that ensures all deposits? Because we seem to be in this de facto world where that is the case. Well, there's a lot of debate about that. Mm -hmm. Now, what I want to understand are the knock-on effects if you do that. What does that do to the banking system long-term? 
Uh, how does it change the allocation of capital? Uh, we have a vibrant economy in many respects because we have a diversity of lending options in the United States. Um, I want to keep those diversity of lending operations, uh, of, of options. I also want to keep the ability to fail in America because uh, in a capitalist system, the inability to fail means that you don't actually prove out what is a bad idea, bad structure, bad performance. We have to ensure that you can fail without systemic consequences. So we have to make sure we understand the effects if we make um, deposit insurance permanent on, um, for every deposit or if there are other structures in place where we can actually have a better understanding and better liquidity uh, provision for institutions. Following the rate hike we saw today from the ECB, are you worried about what happens at the Fed meeting next week? What should the FOMC do right now? Um, well, I'm a member of Congress. I'm not a member of... Uh, Understood. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not a Fed governor. A lot of folks are pointing to this rapid increase in rates, though, as being part of the problem. That is one problem. of the factors. And one of the factors that we have to look into to understand are the, uh, the, uh, the, the core causes of inflation, uh, and then the Fed response to this. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had mo long-term monetary policy that was, at this point, we know, is too low for too long. Uh, that is now axiomatic. Um, uh, but the rapid rate increases are as a direct result of inflationary pressures. And, and so um, the Fed has enormous, uh, uh, enormous uh, stress and attention placed on them in a moment like this. Um, but I know and I have confidence in their ability to make strong and right decisions. Um, and I think that, that uh, should give the American people confidence as well. So you think there should be a rate rise? Or not? I, I believe they have the tools necessary to make these determinations. And you think inflation is still too high? Inflation is obviously too high. Uh, my constituents tell me about this is the most common topic uh, that my constituents talk about. And this is the most pressing economic issue for families. When you have interest rates uh, rising, people talk about that is, the, is a problem. The underlying problem is price instability. And when you go to the grocery store, the cost of things going up dramatically and outstripping your ability to pay for it. That's what the average family is experiencing and the challenges they're, they're, they're facing. And price instability is, is, um, is a very powerful negative economic problem that we have to address. Systemic risk is, is obviously a hot second, and especially right now, it is, it is most in frame. Uh, but for the average family, they weren't banking with Silicon Valley Bank. They don't have deposits over $250,000. But they do shop. They do buy um, things. And the cost of what they are experiencing in life is going up way too So too I'm fast. getting the sense from you, because you think inflation is too high, you do think the Fed should hike next week. But you don't have to outright say it. I want to Of ask course you, I'm not going to outright say it. <laughs> I want to ask you about the debt ceiling. President Biden has his proposal with a budget. We don't have the Republican budget just yet. But we are getting closer to the X date. You know this. Where's the response and where are the negotiations right now? Well, the negotiations um, started with the, the president meeting with the Speaker of the House for the first time uh, a month and a half ago. Uh, there have been no additional meetings uh, scheduled, uh, no additional talks. The president released his budget last Thursday. Um, uh, events have overtaken, obviously, and, and um, it, it, since then, and the, the, the focus has been a little different here in Washington. But um, we have to engage in serious negotiations between House Republicans and the White House. That's how it has to happen. I think we should get through this without drama. 
uh, in light of the economic situation, in light of the constraints in our uh, financial um, system. Um, we have to get through this with as little drama as possible, and that's my motivation. We also have to address the fiscal house. Spending is up dramatically from pre-COVID, uh, and we have conservatives that run the House of Representatives that want to address that fiscal question, and I think we should. Um, but we also have to ensure the balance between what we can pass in the House with what the White House is willing to accept as well. It's a tricky negotiation, and frankly, until the president released his budget last Thursday, there were not serious talks. My hope is we get into those serious talks. Can I ask you, Mr. Chairman, about safe banking? We're talking about banks here. This is another issue, a bill that's passed, I think, 15 times in the House that would give cannabis companies, many of which we cover here on the Bloomberg Terminal, access to banking, access to uh, stock exchanges potentially as well. Should Congress allow that to happen, or is the Republican majority opposed to it? Well, I'm opposed to it, but um, half my Republicans on my committee voted for the bill yeah. um, because uh, they, they recognize a problem in their state and they're trying to fix it. Um, what I firmly believe is it's, it's not the financial system that needs to fix this question about uh, the legality of, of marijuana. Uh, it is the overall power of the government. Um, what I've seen, especially in the last uh, couple of years, is a, a real focus and push for the financial system to cure societal ills. We should cure societal ills and make sure the banking system and the financial system remains neutral. So if you want to address marijuana and the legality of marijuana at the federal level, let's address that. Let's actually have studies about the impact of, uh, of marijuana in society, uh, but address it in a serious way. Congressman Patrick McHenry, the Republican from North Carolina with us. Here on Bloomberg, you can watch the full interview with the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee coming up on Balance of Power on Bloomberg TV, 5 p.m. Washington time. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington with Kaylee Lyons. Uh, a little bit of a clinic there on at least his mindset and the mindset of center Republicans right now. While yeah. lawmakers from from both wings kind of take aim at each other and play the blame game. Yeah, well, we've seen the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank become a partisan issue. And depending on what side of the aisle you are on, it frames your view on regulation and whether or not it, what was to blame was a lack of regulation or just inadequate enforcement mm -hmm. of regulation. And this is something that has continually come up uh, in over the last several days. I would imagine, Joe, that there are going to be more hearings and inquiries oh into we're this. Gonna and we're going to be talking about this forever, for a long time. For months. That's the way we do it in Washington. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Bloomberg.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.